Hi, this is John Ratzenberger. That's right, the same John Ratzenberger that played the part of the very handsome mailman on the TV show Cheers. Now, it's a little-known fact that, in my heart, I'm just a country boy. Welcome to the NutriBlends Animal Ag Podcast, where we tell the truth about American agriculture. On this podcast, false rumors are run out of town. Misleading marketing gets called out for what it is, and you better have good science to back up your claims or you're getting a boot. You hear me? I'm John Ratzenberger, coming to you from Nashville, Tennessee. Starting lightweight cattle at a stocker or backgrounder level offers many challenges for the cattle producer, nutritionist, and veterinarian. It takes a team effort and a well-managed arrival program to get calves started on a healthy path. Joining us today from Zoetis is Dr. Blaine Corners, ruminant nutritionist with the Cattle Strategic Technical Services team. Dr. Corners is an Illinois native that currently resides about an hour outside of Nashville, Tennessee, with his family. He works closely with feed companies, stockers, and backgrounders in the Mid-Atlantic and southern regions of the country, and previously with feedlots in the Corn Belt. What's a backgrounder? A backgrounder is an operation that will typically take calves in from three to 500 pounds. Most often they're going to put them in pens and and feed them a complete diet, but they'll also put them on traps, which can be anywhere from 5 to 40 acres where they're yeah. in high concentration, and they'll feed them there as well. well thank you. That's the first time I've uh, come across that yeah. phrase. That's my business. That's my bread and butter. Bread and butter, I know what that means. We're so. <laughs> together now. <clears throat> so when we're talking about starting cattle at a background or a stalker operation, what's the weight of cattle we're looking at? John, we're typically on a backgrounding operation. We're looking at cattle that will range from three to 500 pounds. They can be um, anywhere spread throughout that weight range because they tend not to be very uniform within that market segment. We'll typically see those cattle moved to either pens or into grass traps where they're fed a, a pretty much balanced ration. Uh, our stalker operators are tend to be a little bit heavier. They'll be in the four to 600-pound range, usually a lot more uniform groups in terms of size. And the idea in that, in that group is to, to get their health straightened out, to put some cheap gain on them, and stage them to move into a feed yard. And they will be on principally a forage diet there. Principally a what diet? Forage. Forage diet. So... Why is it challenging to get cattle started on, on feed at, at this phase of their life? The biggest thing that we fight in that stage, when you look at the size and, and the experience, everything that they've been through, is we really battle stress. Uh, mom has disappeared. They were weaned on diesel fumes. Oh, right, right. Uh, the, the diet completely changes. They've been commingled with animals that they don't know. 
And one of the things people don't think about is water is a big issue. They may have come from a cow-calf operation that they've associated with water with something they can hear, but yet they go in and here's this magical tank that has water in it. They don't know what it is. And not only that, it'll taste different. So those are tremendous stressors. Uh, the other thing that we're going to battle are our calves that are not properly vaccinated before they leave the cow-calf operation. They have very little immunity. Um, and when they're exposed to bovine respiratory disease pathogens or BRD pathogens, they really have no way to defend themselves because their immune system is not ready to roll yet. The bottom line is there are a lot of changes that have occurred in that animal's life and they need as much help as they can get in that transition. And that's where proper handling, a good diet, and if you can figure out some way to buy it, time is extremely helpful. Yeah, the last couple of days, it's just, uh, uh, I keep hearing the word stressors and stress, and uh, you know, putting it on the, on the human side, that seems to be the cause of a lot of diseases. Absolutely. Stress levels. Yep. And I think we get into it um, a little greater later on, but it causes an animal not to be able to absorb nutrients properly. So, so you the have, same in people. Yeah, you have to increase all the density in the diets, and that mm -hmm. animal, the stress causes them not to want to eat. They're anorexic, so not only do they need more, but you can't get it in them, and it's a double whammy. And it that's where those, especially lightweight, the lighter they are, the worse it is on them, it hammers them. What are the considerations you make when developing a, a ration for a, a lightweight calf? A lot of considerations go into it. Um, principally, I worry about the management side of it with operations I deal with. But coming down to the actual diet is just making sure that there's sufficient protein, energy, minerals, and vitamins in that diet because they are needed to be able to develop an immune response. So if they are short those nutrients, even upon vaccination, they can't respond to the vaccination. Uh, if they're challenged with the, the disease, they can't respond to it either. And this is where, as a nutritionist, I try and get the diet right, and we'll try and loop in the veterinarian and make sure that we have the vaccinations that are timed properly so that that animal is capable of responding, capable of mounting immune response. Um, when we start looking at other aspects of the diet, uh, such as medicated feeds, we know that we're going to be challenged by coccidiosis. We know that a bovine respiratory disease challenge is coming, and we have to sequence getting intake into that animal, but also being able to, to help that animal fight those diseases and buy time until they can mount their own immune response. And when it boils down to it, this is where a collaborative relationship between the producer, the nutritionist, and the veterinarian is critically important because all the pieces fit together, but all the pieces have to be there. Let's visit a little bit more about the, the starting ration. Uh, what are the typical feedstuffs you're including in a and a ration for starting cattle. Name of the game, there's a very tight profit margin in, in both of the stocker and backgrounder segments. Um, the name of the game is to, to come up with a, a nutrient-dense ration that's 
cost efficient because I can put together an ideal ration, but if it doesn't allow that operation to make money, it is of absolutely no value to them. So we'll tend to start with, with some basic, some type of a corn or corn co-product, so either corn distillers or corn gluten feed tends to be sort of the backbone. Um, I'll use a lot of soy hulls and some type of a, of a protein supplement like a soybean meal or a cottonseed meal are probably my favorite. When I go north, it tends to be something like canola. Mm. And anything above and beyond that is whatever we can source locally that there's an abundant amount of that will, will help us bring the, the ration costs down. Um, in the east, I have several good-sized operations that feed a lot of brewer's grain. And instead of the corn products, the brewer's yeah. grain is actually the backbone of their operation. So after the brewers use it? Uh, yes, that's correct. A- after, the, after the beer is taken off, then they come out extremely wet um, right. and just slops down on a pad, and we use that as a foundation. makes a wet, wet ration, but cattle absolutely love it. And when you look at the nutrient density, it's a pretty good feed. There's no alcohol content in it. No alcohol, no. Point. No, it was, that's the high value target, and it's already been taken out. Similar yeah. to, a, to an ethanol plant, that's where we get our distillers, and they have extracted basically every bit of ethanol from, yeah. from that product. <laughs> so, you know, when we start looking locally at some of the things, um, in the South, I see a lot of cotton and a lot of peanut products used. Uh, when you get into Florida, you'll see things like citrus pulp. Right, yeah, oranges, um, yep, grapefruit. That's correct. And as you go up the East Coast, um, I get into a lot of bakery waste where when they make, when they make bread, when they start the run, right. it's not just perfect. When they end the run, it's not perfect. We get that. And if they have a batch of flour that is off spec, we'll get that. If the dough didn't proof right, um, we'll get things like that. And so anything we can use that has nutrients in it that makes a good and a safe cattle feed, we'll use it. Um, the last, last thing that we'll do is we tend to rely on a feed company to provide the mineral and possibly even additional protein source that balances the diet out. And there you go. Dr. Quarters. What are the first steps you take when you begin working with an operation and their team? John, anybody who's had me on their operation, if they hear this, they'll laugh because I literally will wear them out with questions. Um, every operation is going to be extremely different than the next. And we, when we go in, I'll begin to pepper them about what's their arrival program look like? What's the buy of cattle? Is it a steer only heifer only is it a mix um are they are they trying to buy low dollar cheap cattle or are they trying to buy a front end really good quality calf because the production goals wind up being very different for those um, we'll look at the current nutrition and health program and are they effective in what they're doing are they are they happy with their performance um and if not, where, where, are the, where are the blind spots? What are the things that, that we pick up on that they may not be doing right um, or that they may not be able to do? Every operation, 
will have limitations. If you come to my house, the limitation is always money. We got a lot more ideas than money. That's true for a lot of cattle operations, but it can be something as simple as they don't have the right equipment to do what they're trying to do, and more and more commonly, they cannot find the labor. They can't find good help to accomplish what needs to be done. But we'll we'll start at the very beginning, and we'll walk all the way through the program. Uh, most of the time with the producer, if I can get the veterinarian there, I love to have them there. Because each one of us sees something a little bit different. And sometimes you'll get from a, from a third party, you'll get, oh, by the way, they're doing this. And the producer doesn't even realize they're doing it. And once we get an understanding of how that operation is set up, what their flow is, and what they're doing, we'll start to hone a program that works for them. Um, Cocidiosis? Coccidiosis. Coccidiosis. What, what is coccidiosis? Uh, coccidiosis is actually a, it's a protozoa in the Imeria genus that sets up in the, in the intestines. It's in the, it's in the lower half of the intestines, and it, ultimately it pulls attention away from the, from the lungs and the rest of the body because an animal will actually worry about what's occurring in their gut principally, and they, they basically leave the lungs unattended, and then you get BRD pathogens that move into the lungs, and that's ultimately what will, what will kill a lot of the calves that die in these operations. But it starts with the, with the coccyx or the protozoa in their gut. There's probably medicine for that, huh? Yeah, that, that's, that's where we're actually involved. And how we work with NutriBlend is providing a couple of the different products for prevention or control. So in the past, in some of the operations where we, where we do some of this fine-tuning is, you know, if there's coxy um, or coxy pressure that we know is coming, we'll either use Decox to pre- prevent it, or in heavier cattle, we may just start them on Bovitec for control. Um, but in the lighter weight cattle, we'll generally start with Decox and transition after 28 to 45 days to Bovitec. And at that point, we'll not only get coxy control, but we'll also get improvements in gain and efficiency as a result of using the Onifor Bovitec later on. But the biggie we, we try and do is handle the coccidiosis up front. It's the biggest threat, the biggest danger there is. And Decox is a great product to do that. This is quite a science. You know, most people driving by seeing farming cattle and, and leaning out the window go moo, as though the cattle are going to stand up and wave at them. Uh, but it's just so fascinating to me that there's so much that goes into getting that steak on your plate. And just remember, I, we're talking about one little segment, and then you move to western Kansas or the Panhandle, yeah. where they've got these big commercial feed yards. It's, a, it's an entirely separate set of science issues. It's almost an art form to well, do it right. I, we really don't talk about it in here, but that's, that's the big thing when I'm consulting, is talking about the art of feeding. On these new calves, I want them fed... I want the tractor to start within 15 minutes of the day before. And tomorrow I want it to start within 15 minutes of today. 
and feed has to be laid out evenly in the bunk so everybody has an equal opportunity. As you say the tractor, is that what's laying out the feed? Yeah, they're either a truck that has a mounted gotcha. delivery box or a tractor pulling a mixer wagon. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of the operations that I deal with have tractors that will pull feed wagons, and cattle can actually hear that tractor start, and you start a brain process going in that animal. Start salivating, huh? That is absolutely correct. And they, if they don't hear that tractor start and they know it's so long after sunrise, then it actually starts negative processes happening within their body. If it's after sunrise? Yeah, I mean, well, you know, if they're accustomed to the tractor coming by their bunk an hour after sunrise and it's two or three hours and they still haven't been fed that animal will begin to spiral, and that's a stressor, just like oh, everything sure. they faced early on. Sure, like you can't catch up with the ice cream man after ringing his bells. Absolutely You're running correct. down the street, and he's... Yeah, he left uh, you. He le- oh, that's a stressor. Yep. That'll, so, ruin, that'll ruin your day. So the, <laughs> That's right. Those are the exact type of things that, that I actually go on to the operation and work with them on. And those are the things that an operation does it because... Dad did it, and because Grandpa did it, and they really don't, well, they've just never been trained on that science. And so, you know, me, a fresh set of eyes, and, you know, spending 10 years of my life in college studying this stuff, I can go in and say, hey, here are some of the things that you might Mm want to consider. And all of a sudden, vaccines work better, the antibiotics are working better, and things just fall into place. What are some of the indications that a backgrounder or a stalker may need to change you know, something in the arrival process? I guess I there are several th- different parameters that we'll look at. Um, the easiest one to look at is death loss. What is it? Um, is death loss. How, what percentage of the calves in every group coming in are dying for the given class of cattle that they're buying? I mainly deal with high-risk cattle, which are unweaned and not vaccinated properly. So there's what we would consider to be an acceptable range there. If you get into medium or low risk, there's a lot lower acceptable number. That's one of the easiest places to look, but we'll also look at at treatment success rates. If they're treating cattle, is there a response? Um, we look at those kind of things to sometimes tell us back in the arrival process, were they were they accomplishing the goals that they wanted to. Mm. Um, I will look at at feed intake. Um, are we getting the kind of intake at the in a timely nature? Uh, a lot of times that will be an indicator of of whether the arrival process is rolling along properly. Um, and then sometimes it's just simply looking at how do they receive those cattle. Um, on arrival, are they arriving to, you know, hot shots and a lot of yelling, which is, is really being phased out and going away? Or is it a quote-unquote stress-free environment, which we see more and more often? Have they cleaned the pens? Um, would the manager go out and take water out of the drinker and drink it himself? If it's not, oh. I crack the whip on them. Um, and do they have hay in the bunk? Is there some type of feed ready there for them? Uh, we generally will look at, at time windows. If it's something that's occurred within 
10 to 14 days, a lot of times we're going to go back and, and relook at vaccination protocols or on-arrival antibiotics and when they're given. Um, that's something a lot of times that I'll have our tech service veterinarian and the on-staff veterinarian look through. Um, as a nutritionist, I've just got to make sure that I have fine-tuned their ration such that it's nutrient-dense and provides them what they need to develop an immune response. Mm. Um, is the quality there? Um, if we get later in, you know, where sickness is occurring 21 days or beyond, that's a whole different set of things that we're going to look at. But bottom line is, again, we have to look at the veterinarian and the nutritionist working hand-in-hand to make sure that the arrival process is working right. Well, what are are some of the other considerations that backgrounder and stalker operations should consider, you know, when they start the cattle on feed? Well, as I mentioned, um, they've got to keep the pens clean. Every time a new group comes in, the pens have to be clean. There's still going to be potential transmission of diseases, but if there's built-up manure, in my opinion, it's going to be a lot higher chance than if not. Um, you know, in northern climates, they've, they've got to have some place in the winter to get cattle out of the wind and protect them from the environments, possibly bed them down. Um, one of the things that they really need to consider is to make sure that there's enough bunk space Mm-hmm. for the number of animals that are there. Um, th- we'll argue about it as, a, as an industry some, but animals, in my opinion, the same animal will eat at the same part of the bunk every day. And if there mm-hmm. are too many cattle for the bunk space that they have and an animal routinely gets knocked out, it's going to happen from day to day. And that animal is probably going to be one you're going to pull and treat for BRD. So that's the same animal. They, it's kind of like the, the the kid in the class that always gets picked on. That's correct. So the other cattle know that, well, this guy's a pushover. Let's just yep keep him away from the stall. Yeah, and we we often think that it's going to be a smaller animal, but it's not necessarily always. It's just one that that may have picked an area on the bunk, and as that bunk starts filling up, and cattle start moving from the center to the ends, yeah. they get shoved out. And they become somewhat accustomed to that. Um, mm. So that's one of the biggies. Um, fresh water, as I, as I mentioned earlier, I want to be able to go out and take a drink myself, and I want a manager to be comfortable to dip up a handful of water and drink it. If it's not clean enough to do that, the tanks need cleaned. I see a lot of people fall down in that, um, and they won't clean them throughout the feeding period which can be a limiter on intake and a limiter on performance. So water is just absolutely critical. Um, they've got to make sure that they're, they're consistent in delivering feed each day. I really like to, for an operation to start feeding at the same time every day and go in the same order from pin one to two to three mm-hmm. and not go from one to three to two. It throws cattle off. It creates stress and... Ultimately, so you consider that that much detail. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. It, it's there's very much of a of a science behind properly feeding cattle, and you know I always joke with people that 
that cattle are, it's kind of a redneck science because they're just garbage collectors. They can live on what other animals would die on, but when you get down to the to what goes on in the brain and what goes on in the gut of that animal, it's it's a very scientific process. Mm. Um, oh, the last thing is is in uh, in stalker operations to consider the delivery systems for supplements. Um, most of the time, it's going to be in a mineral, but if they want to provide any kind of a feed additive. Um, they've got to really understand, are they having proper mineral intake? Um, are mineral feeders in the right spot? Do they need to, to tweak what they're mm. doing to make sure that cattle are getting the amount of the additives and the amount of the mineral that they actually need? And this is where involvement with the nutritionist becomes very important because they can help walk through those numbers. Any final advice to producers who are starting calves in a backgrounding or stocker setting? Yeah, you know, when you look at the at the combination of it being a very low margin business and the fact that the feedstuff markets are ever changing, um, I just want them to be open to new ideas and to new rations. Um, oftentimes what those producers do is what their dad did and what their grandfather did. And because of the of the change that's occurred mm-hmm. in the cattle business over the last decade, 20, or 30 years, sometimes they, they just need to do something different and take a look at different things. Um, so I ask them to be, to be flexible but yet be consistent. And that sounds like I'm talking out of both sides, but be willing to make changes but when they make those changes, to stick with them and stick give them, with a, them yeah. yeah, give them a chance to work. Um, I think understanding that that a nutritionist and a and a veterinarian can actually be partners in profitability is critical. Um, they are oftentimes seen as a as a as an expense, but people don't really look at the value that comes through them and the amount of money that can actually be be saved from from the use of, of the information that comes. And also understand that while calves are resilient, we got to give them every opportunity to succeed with good nutrition and a good animal health program and doing everything we can, as we've mentioned several times, in reducing stress that they face, not only on arrival, but also through the critical part of the starting period. Well, starting a lightweight cattle at a stocker or backgrounder level obviously offers many challenges to the cattle producer, the nutritionist, and the veterinarian. It takes a team effort and a well-managed arrival program to get calves started on a healthy plan. I'd like to thank Dr. Corners from Zoetis for joining us today and encourage our listeners to tune in next week to see what's on tap in animal agriculture. <laughs>